You guys just finished up the I Am series, Who is Jesus? And, and now we're looking at who, who we are in Christ, who we are as followers of Jesus. And, and last week, Zach hit on we are a new creation in, in Colossians 3. And this week we're going to look at we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses like 17 to 20. Um, and then also 2 Corinthians 3 a little bit. But this word ambassador, right, this is going to stick out. It's going to be a word that's going to be repeated quite a bit tonight. What ambassador means is a messenger or a representative for something. So a messenger or a representative for something. Here's the thing. We're all ambassadors for different stuff. All of you guys, you're, even down to the, the clothes you're wearing today, are Sam Norman... You have a, what, what is that? Canada. Canada. Are you? Toronto Blue Jays. Are you a Blue Jays fan? Yeah. Okay, cool. So he is an ambassador for the Toronto Blue Jays, right? This is an example of the, the things you wear, the things you talk about, we're ambassadors for. You're a representative of that thing. I just went and ate Chipotle uh, again earlier. Surprise, surprise for anyone that gets lunch or dinner with me. It's usually Chipotle. And there was a guy, he was sitting a table over, he had like the Galaxy S like 56 or whatever they're on now, and he was just, he was talking up that bad boy. He like poked the pin out. He was, who has an Android in here? Does anyone have that? All six of you, you're pretty proud of those. That's great. I'm so happy for you. You guys should get together and, and talk to each other, have a little support group or something. But... Uh, <laughs> No, right, we're, we're, we're ambassadors, we get excited about things, and, and the things we get excited about are things that bring, they bring value to our lives, and so we just naturally, out of an overflow of that value that it brings us, we can't but talk about it to others, or wear branding for it, or just whatever that might be for you to be an ambassador, you are ambassadors for something in your life, and, and we do this based on perceived value that these things add to our lives. So tonight we're going to look at what does it look like to be an ambassador, but, but I think what's behind that that we need to answer is what are the values that drive us as an ambassador? When, when we say ambassador for Christ, what values should we have for that? What should we value as an ambassador for Jesus? Should I really value playing sports? Should I really value just knowledge? Should I really value education? Like, what should we value as an ambassador for Christ? I think there's even one layer below that. What does God value? What does God value? So that's going to be our, our build tonight, is looking at what does God value? What should we value? And how are we ambassadors? That's off. That's wrong, actually. I'm sorry, Sammy. I didn't tell you. I, this is my, dis that's, that's my old outline. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my bad. Uh, so the new outline, I changed up the words, is what does God value? What do we value? What should we value? And, and, and how should we be ambassadors based on that? So 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21. says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Again, coming right off of Zach's sermon from last week. We, when you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are a new creation in Christ. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And right, we, we see the first glimpse of ambassador there, but we also see what God values. What God values. So, so verse 18 there. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He did this by not counting our trespasses against us. And again down there it says, and in doing so, reconciled us to God. What does God value? You, his people. Right? He's talking about reconciliation here, and this is something that happens between two parties. That there, someone has been wronged and something has to happen. There's this word atone, which means that there has to be a payment made for a wrong that was done. So God is the wronged party. We in our sin, meaning that we choose things not of God, we sin against God. God is wronged, and there is a need for reconciliation there. So he's saying that we are reconciled. There was a need for some kind of payment, and it says right here, through Christ. Through Christ. We have been reconciled. But the question, here's, here's what speaks to the value. The question is, how did they do that? Like, what, is, what does through Christ mean there? So we can see in this text that there's something with, with humans being reconciled to God, but how did he do that? Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How does God reconcile us? He made him who knew no sin, and he took on our sin. He took on the atonement that we could not take on ourselves. And in doing so, he has reconciled us to himself. Jesus lived the perfectly obedient life that we cannot and could not live. And took on the death that we deserve so that we could have relationship with him. God values people. God values you. Hebrews 12 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, Listen, there are not, I can't think of many things at all in my life that I would 
endure the cross for, right? What, what would it take for someone to endure the cross? Being hung, bleeding out, suffocating for hours and dying. Why did Jesus do that? For the joy set before Him. That joy was you. The joy set before Jesus as He was looking at Calvary. He was picturing you. And He said, I want reconciliation with them so bad. I see that joy on the other end of that. I want that so bad that I'm going to endure the shame of the cross. I'm going to endure the pain and the torment of the cross. If that doesn't show the value of humanities in the eyes of God, I don't know what does. A holy, perfect Savior setting down His throne and coming in the likeness of man and meekness and weakness and suffering and dying so that we would be reconciled to Him. It was the only way, and he said, I'll do it, because I want them. God values people. God values you. You in this chair, sitting here, grounded tonight, God values you. And maybe you sit there in shame, insecurity, and sin that happened last week, yesterday, four hours ago. All right, you sit there, and God sees it. It doesn't say that God ignored the sin. It says God sees the sin, right? But Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners... Christ died for us. The, four, the thing four hours ago, God sees and he chose the cross for us so that he could atone for us so that you could have relationship with him. And, and when, when I say these things, I realize that it's easy to, to say, yeah, God values that for others, but not for me. Not for myself, right? If Chris knew, he wouldn't be saying that. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell that Satan wants you to believe. And confidently look at the word of God here and say that he knows and he sees and he loves you and he chose the cross for you because he values you. He values relationship with you more than anything else. He wants you. And for some of us, we just need to sit in that. Because if you don't get that, you're not going to be a good ambassador for Christ. You're going to be an ambassador of some workspace relationship that is trying to atone for yourself. And that's a Christianity that people are going to look at and say, I don't want that. I don't want another conditional relationship in my life. I have enough of those. But rather when they can look in on a, an unconditional relationship from a creator to his creation, 
and see that, it's beautiful of him. That's why that has to sit deep in your heart. You have to be saturated in that God values you and God wants you so that you're an ambassador for the right thing. So that that might overflow, right? Because again, we're ambassadors for things we value. And the more we sit in that, the more we sit in this insane reality and the vastness of the love of God for his creation, the more we realize we're getting a pretty good deal out of this because we are bringing nothing to the table. And that overflows into, yeah, I, I can't but talk about this. I can't but just try to live for Jesus. I can't but just try to draw near to God. It overflows. And then this bleeds into, I would, I would argue, what Paul says that we should value as well. God values people. And I think what we're going to see with Paul is that Paul values people. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What's Paul talking about here with, with letters of recommendation? See, he was actually, so this is, this is 2 Corinthians. This is actually said to be the third letter, and, and Paul had a painful visit in here somewhere. And, and he went and planted a church in Corinth, and then he had left to go plant other churches. And so Corinth was, the church was growing, but there was just, there was growing pains, right? And you can read a lot of those in 1 Corinthians, and He's writing them, and he's saying, I was writing in anguish, and he's been correcting them and trying to help them. But they start learning from some other teachers in the area. And with that, they start to try and discredit Paul, because it's actually said that Paul like, wasn't a super eloquent teacher, wasn't that, like, that, uh, I can't, like, skilled in uh, things, I don't know, like that. It's just like, he's not the, he, so like, Old Testament, right, when, when they're looking for kings, Saul walks into the room, and they're like, that's our guy. He's tall, he's handsome, he's eloquent. That wasn't Paul, right? And the people naturally, they want that. You're drawn to that. And so they start discrediting Paul and saying, hey, like, are you actually an apostle? Do you actually have authority? Are you actually wise? Can you actually lead us? So, so that sets up, they were criticizing him. And sometimes they would actually, back then, they would walk around with like letters of recommendation for things of like, yeah, this teacher says I can do this, I can teach this thing, I have this skill. But Paul is hitting here on his letter of recommendation. All right, what's the, what's the purpose of a letter of recommendation? It's based on the necessary values and priorities of that job. A lot of you in here are college students, right? You'll be applying for internships. I fill out, so I'm not suggesting to send your letters of recommendation to me, but I've filled out a lot of letters of recommendation, right? 
And, and so let's say I'm filling one out. You have a big journalism internship, New York City, big city. Go into the big city, Hallmark movie. It's going to be awesome. Wait, no, it's the other way. They go from the big city, sorry. Um, you're going to the big city, New York, some big journalism firm, something like that, engineering firm. I don't know what it is. They're asking for a letter of rec, though, and usually you try to, like, speak the character, some of their competency, but just imagine I'm like, hey, yeah, like, they're, they're not, like, that, like, good at this thing that you might need, but, like, man, Sam Norman can play pickleball, and, like, his karaoke, like, you, you should, like, you should see that man rips some don't stop believing, and it's awesome, and it's like my whole letter is just like how I'm amazed at some karaoke to it in the morning, and it's like, they're like, dude, we'll invite him out on the weekend maybe. We're not going to have him write articles for us. I would have you write an article for me, Sam, by the way. You're a great journalism student, but, but you see that you, you, you have letters of recommendation based on the values and the priorities of that job or task that you're doing. And so what they were wanting was some letter of recommendation for his skill, for his wisdom. And actually, like, he's kind of arguing here, like, did you want me to bring, like, I could have brought one. Like, I was under one of the best teachers in Jerusalem. I could have got Gamaliel to write me a letter of rec that I have pretty much the whole Old Testament memorized. Do you want me to do that? But he doesn't appeal to that. Paul doesn't appeal to what he could to in the skills and the wisdom and the knowledge what does Paul appeal to when he is talking about his letter of recommendation to the Corinthians? He says, you are my letter of recommendation. Right there. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. He's saying, I planted this church. I've walked with you. I've loved you. I've shepherded you. I've had conversations with you. I've ministered to you consistently. See, what, what Paul is displaying here is, is what he values and what he thinks is the priority with his task as an apostle. He values not the skills he brings, but the people he ministers to. He values the fruit of his labor being the people that he is ministering to. Not how much of the Old Testament he has memorized, not how many of the laws he knows, not those things, but the people. Paul is saying, my value and my priority is people. Therefore, if anyone back in Ephesus asks about me, I say, look at the church in Corinth. I don't say, yeah, I have this thing memorized. I can do this thing. I say, look at the church. Look at the people. That's, that's, the, that's the whole purpose for my ministry is the people. I value the people. If there's any fruit I want to assess in my ministry, it's the people. Not the skills that I try to acquire for myself, not the head knowledge that I have, but the people in my life that I've faithfully walked with. That's, that's the letter of recommendation I'm going to pull, pull out. What about yourself? What about you? See, what are your priorities and values as a follower of Christ? How do you view those around you? If someone were to ask for some sort of letter of recommendation for 
you being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. They're, they're like, hey, what does it look like for you to be a follower of Jesus? What would your answer display about what you value and prioritize in your relationship with the Lord as being a follower of Christ? Would it be, yeah, as a follower of Jesus, I read my Bible every day and I pray this many minutes, this many hours, and I don't sin, I don't, like, I don't do this sin anymore. Is it all just inward things that you can evaluate and that you can assess that you can look at more instantly and quantitatively and just get a really quick assessment on. Your answer displays what you value. And I would say when people ask, what does it look like for you to be a follower of Jesus? Other people should come to mind. The people you are ministering to should come to mind. It doesn't discount the reading your Bible and those things. Those are important things. But reading your Bible, scripture memory, prayer, all those are a means to an end of drawing near to God and pouring into others. They are not an end in and of themselves. So when people ask that question, other people should come to mind. Not necessarily I've baptized 25 people, but yeah, no, I have, I have these people I'm ministering to. I have these people that I'm praying for. That should be our first response is people. It's what Paul's first response is here, is people. Here's the thing. I get it, though. Like, people are messy. I love you guys to death. Some, sometimes it can be messy. I'm messy. You don't get instant gratification with people, with your parent, with your sibling, with your lab partner, with your roommate, with your cousin. You don't get instant gratification, and it's messy, and it takes time. But God's timing is generally in months and years and not days and weeks, especially with people. I'm not going to walk into my lab at school and immediately everyone in that room is just going to be massive revival broke out in Chem 1320 and it's crazy. We're just mixing stuff and it's wild. Whatever revival in Chem 1320 would look like, but... That's generally not what it looks... Not that God has never worked in that way, but it's... That's generally not what it looks like. God's timing is much slower than that. It's slow, and it's usually messy. Great. I know a very slow and messy person that God had to deal with and is currently dealing with. Hi, I'm Chris. <laughs> it's slow, and it's messy, when you get three years, five years down the road, you see 10-year prayers answered for family members. Guys, there is nothing like that. You're on your face consistently. And it's not year one, not year two, not year three, not year four, but year nine, year ten. And it's exactly as God intended. And for me, those are the, when people ask about ministry, those are the first people that come to mind for me. It's the 10-year prayers. It is. 
Because that's what God calls us to, is a slow patience and walking with people in the same way that God slowly drew you in and was patient with you and walked with you and is currently walking with you. Are the people placed around you currently, if you think about your current context, or even going home for break, like what, what tier level of importance would they have for you? Right? Would they be a primary ministry for you, or would they be viewed as a hindrance to what maybe the real ministry is? Of Yeah, man, my, my roommate, they were out till two in the morning again. I had to go pick them up, and it was annoying, and I, I couldn't get enough sleep last night. I couldn't read my Bible this morning. I was supposed to go to this thing, and I couldn't. That's your ministry. Two in the morning. Pick them up. Love on them. Those are the people that God has right in your way. And I, I get it. I'm, I'm, I empathize 100%. It can seem like hindrances at time. Of, man, you were making it really hard for me to try to be faithful and be an ambassador for Jesus. But those are the people that God has right in front of you to be an ambassador for. Those are the people that you're wanting to write down as a letter of recommendation. I love my roommate. I love my parent. I love my sibling really well. They are not a hindrance. People are not a hindrance to you. You are not a hindrance to God. May we value people with the same value that God looks at us. The people right in front of us are often the most important things that God has put in our way to be faithful with. And if only we would be just faithful ambassadors in those moments and not get distracted with what we would maybe consider a real ministry thing. Serving in your local church is great. Ser serving on worship is great. Like those are ways that the body can serve one another and it's awesome and it's great. And serving your roommate is really, really, really important. And if you are not sharing Jesus with these people, there is a really, really high chance that they are not hearing it from anyone else, that they are not seeing it from anyone else. God calls us to be ambassadors in those areas. Again, back to 2 Corinthians 5, 19. And he entrusted to us the message of rec reconciliation. God has entrusted you. You, you now have a new heart. You are a new creation. When, when you have placed your faith in Christ, you are a new creation in Christ. And you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And he is entrusting this ministry, this message of reconciliation to go tell the world about it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is so important. God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. God's plan A on taking the gospel forward is you, is us, is his people. Faithfully taking forward the gospel. Faithfully loving on people. Faithfully shepherding them. Faithfully pointing them towards the word of God. 
That is God's plan A for redemption. That has been accomplished in Christ and that we get to take hold of and take to others. See, whether you realize it or not, when you, when you proclaim, I'm a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador for him. I, I would want everyone that identifies as a Christian in this room to understand that. When you say, I am a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador for him. And here's what that means. That the people you interact with are filling in assumptions about Jesus when they interact with you. They're filling in assumptions about their Savior and their Creator when they're interacting with you because they see you saying, hey, I follow this guy. They see you saying, hey, I follow this guy and still going out and drinking consistently or getting really mad and yelling at them. All these are the things that can come to mind. They must say, oh, like this, like God must approve of that. And also, he's kind of angry and mad. Doesn't seem to maybe be a lot of joy there. And this is, they're probably not explicitly saying these things. And they maybe even can't even, like explicitly articulate this themselves. But they are making assumptions about Jesus when they look at someone that says, I am a follower of Christ. It's what we do with anything. Again, the branding stuff. When you look at someone that has a certain jersey on or a certain thing on, you make assumptions about those things. Not necessarily good or bad, but you just make assumptions. You, we, we are people that are naturally bent to come to conclusions. It's in our psychology. We come to conclusions based on things that we see. People are coming to conclusions about Jesus based on, they, based on them seeing how you interact with them. And you are called to fill in their assumptions about Jesus in a healthy way. See, the question I want you to wrestle with is what assumptions about Jesus do people have when they encounter you? What assumptions about Jesus do people have when they encounter you? Do they see a Savior of compassion, love, but also boldness and shrewdness and wisdom? Or do they see a Savior of passiveness, anger, frustration, bitterness? What Savior are you putting on display when people encounter you, when people interact with you? And I think the basis for this well, what people should see, right, is the love of Christ shining through us. One, one little few words I like that Paul uses here. He says, you yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Paul has a deep love for the Corinthian church. That's what he's saying there. He said, you are written on my heart to be read and known by all. It's not just like, hey, like how well you're doing is my letter of recommendation. It's like my deep love for you. You are inscribed on my heart. He's saying, I love you. I've walked faithfully with you. You know that. In, in Acts 20, Paul is talking to the elders at Ephesus who he walked with faithfully for three years. And he, he's so confident and bold in that. He says, you yourselves 
know how I've walked with you these past three years. He, he is so confidently putting on the table saying, you, my hands are clean to this because you guys know I love you. You know it. And, and your blood is clear of my conscience because I have done everything I can to love you and walk with you and teach you in the ways of Christ. And then when he goes to leave, they're all weeping and they're crying because they love Paul and they know that Paul loves them. When you get to the end of your three years here with the friendships you've made, with the people in your major that you've known for three years, can you confidently say at the end of that, hey, like, not that I've affirmed you in everything, not that I agree with everything, but you, you know I love you. You know that if you ever need to call someone up, you're going through something, you need to call someone up. I'm probably the first person that comes to mind because I was consistent and I was faithful with you. So as Paul is saying here, it's written on their hearts. See, there's a misunderstanding that what we bring to the table in these relationships, so, so we're saying that the, the value is people. And I'm not saying what you bring to those relationships is wit, knowledge, and skill. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying you bring love. And that if your roommate, your parent, your sibling, your aunt... Your boss is ever like, who's, I'm going through something hard. Who is going to love me best? That you're one of the first people that comes to mind. See, because we think, again, what I bring to the table is wit, knowledge, skill, eloquence. What Jesus brought was understanding and perception of the heart and reading their stinking mail. Because he sat with them and he saw them and he looked at them and he said, daughter, he said, son. And in the, the, the crazy moments of chaos in the crowds and the disciples are like, Jesus, come on. Like, we're frantic. This person's dying. Jesus slows down. He perceives that someone has touched him. He slows down and says, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. With the woman at the well, he sits down with her and he reads her mail. Yeah, you don't have one wife. You have one husband, you have five. And she says, how do you know these things? He sees them. That is what we bring to the table as Christians. No one in today's age sits down and sees people. Everyone's in their devices and their phones. But to just sit down and have a conversation with someone, look them in the eye and say their name and ask them questions and draw them out. It's an anomaly. But that's what the love of Christ looks like. That's the, what the love of your Savior looks like. That's what Jesus has done for you. It's what God has done to move you towards himself. We bring love and affection to relationships. 2 Corinthians 6 I close here. Paul is writing 6, verse 11 and 12. This is again just hitting on his heart affections for the Corinthians. And I'm saying this again right now to say this, in our value for people, this is how we are ambassadors. The best thing you bring to the table in your relationships is open-heartedness and love. 
Paul says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. He's saying, hey, our hearts are wide open to you. He's like, I'm, I'm leaving the door as open as possible for you to enter into this relationship. Saying what's closing that door is you. You have closed off your heart. And in doing so, he actually correlates it. You've closed off your affections. When you close off your heart to others, you close off your affections towards others. You close off your love towards others. We're called to walk open-hearted with those around us so that we can confidently say at the end of three years, hey, I was open-hearted with you. I loved you. I did what I could. We are not, I'm not calling us to feel the weight of saving everyone. I'm calling us to feel the weight of that we can get to the end of a relationship if we move or whatever happens, get to the end and feel really good about how we loved and about how we navigated that friendship, how we navigated that relationship, how we are currently navigating our relationships with family and friends so that we could confidently say, as Paul can say, hey, I'm open-hearted towards you. And I would ask that you not do the same towards me because it's actually stifling affections. I'm not stifling. I love you. I don't want to stifle our affections for one another. And again, this all has to be rooted the, the basis for this, to go back to the beginning, has to see God's value for you and sitting in the aspect of the good news of the gospel that Jesus took on death on the cross for you so that he could have a relationship with you. And it's a love that we can't really comprehend because it's a creator and his creation and we bring nothing to the table but we have life, and we have love, and we have peace, and we have joy, and we have contentment in Christ. We need to be saturated in that as we're ambassadors, again, so that we are not ambassadors for a partial gospel that just says, yeah, Jesus came to die for you, and you're saved, and you'll see him someday in heaven. But that, So we would be ambassadors for a gospel of deep, deep love and affection. has to start with seeing God's immense love for you. So as we go out tonight, if you're maybe worshiping, just, just kind of praying and thinking, who are the people that God has put around you? And what are the assumptions that they are filling in about Jesus when they interact with you? And, and how are you being a good steward with those relationships? Let me pray for us. Lord, I um, just thank you for the good news of the gospel, Lord. I, I just want to pray Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, Lord, where he's just asking that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, the eyes of our hearts opened up so that we might also not, not restrict our love that you have towards us, God. In the same way that Paul is talking to the Corinthians and saying, have an open heart, you say the same thing to us. 
open up your heart to me. Lord, and that's what Paul is asking and praying, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which you've called us and what are the glorious riches of us, your inheritance in the saints. And Lord, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of your love, Lord, the vastness of it that we can't comprehend and actually goes beyond knowledge, but may we just glimpse it a little bit more tonight. May we be deeply saturated in that first and foremost and just be dripping with this gospel of love as we go out to our roommates, neighbors, friends, family. And may we pray really consistent prayers for a long duration, understanding that you're not a God of days and weeks, but usually of months and years. And may we just be consistent and faithful with those you have put around us. In your holy name, amen.